Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. There's this really dirty secret of, of church going, which is that, you know, most people sort of make their own relationship to the local church. But what's true then is that a lot of people are eating less often, a spiritual, the spiritual food of a, of a sermon. They're, um, they're picking and choosing from a variety of different sources. A lot of the research that we have shows that the authority of those sermons are waning in light of how much other kinds of media they're taking in. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, brought to you each week through a partnership between Q Ideas and Faith Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and among the terms used to describe 2020 is the word disruption. It was already going to be a difficult year with the election here in the U.S., then the coronavirus struck, and then add ethnic tensions following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Back to COVID-19, due to the shutdown, churches and ministries had to quickly pivot to serve their congregations and followers virtually. That included the Q2020 conference this spring that was converted to a virtual summit. And we're going to hear and we're going to hear one of those talks today, Gabe, from your good friend David Kinneman. Now tell us about him and talk about what we're going to hear today. David Kinneman and I have written a couple of books together, Unchristian, and most recently Good Faith. And in the last year, he wrote a book called Faith for Exiles with Mark Matlock, which is an incredible contribution to us better understanding the next generation. But today, we're going to get to do a couple things together. You're going to get to listen to his nine-minute talk that he delivered at the Q2020 Virtual Summit. Again, if you were not a part of the Virtual Summit, I cannot tell you enough and stress enough how helpful it would be for you as a Christian leader to go participate by listening to those talks. We had over 40 talks. We had leaders all over the world participating. We had people live with us and talks like David's that were just absolutely meant to steer us and to help us navigate a very difficult and challenging season right now for people of faith to understand the times, understand the culture, and know what to do. And you can check that out at media.qideas.org. You can subscribe and get access to all of that. So I'd encourage you to do that as so many of our community has done, thousands and thousands that are part of this and listening to this. Um, But today you're going to get to hear his nine-minute talk, and then David's going to join me, and we're going to get to have a conversation really unpacking the thoughts that he lays out in this talk. Now, Gabe, when you and David connected to talk via Skype, you two had a long conversation. We're going to hear part of that today on this show and then bring the rest to you on the next show. But again, let's first hear the Q Talk from this past spring's Q2020 Virtual Summit. The talk was called The State of the Church, and he was helping us better understand where we're seeing change happening, specifically coming through COVID and as we come out of it. Uh, and look at a season ahead that's very uncertain. What can we be certain about? And what are the opportunities that are being developed in it? So I think you're going to be encouraged not only to hear this talk, but then to get to hear us debate and dialogue and even disagree on a couple of things about where we think the future of the church may be headed. So let's listen in now. Why 
What I'd like to talk about is some of the things that we're learning when it comes to state of the church. And of course, Barna Group has been studying state of the church for more than 30 years. Uh, we've been focusing, especially this last year, on where the church is today uh, at the start of, a, of an interesting decade, a disruptive moment. And, and wow, the last six months have proven just how disruptive uh, things can get. Uh, what we're seeing in the research and what I want to start with is this idea that the COVID-19 crisis is going to accelerate a lot of needed changes in the church. Uh, we've been talking about this for a long time uh, here at Barna. A lot of the research, a lot of the writing that we've been doing is focusing on how the church can innovate, can lead into the future. And I want to explain a few of the things that we're seeing uh, in the research and what this will mean for you as leaders. So when I talk about needed changes, first, let's talk about the, the huge percentage of young adults uh, who walk away from the church or who walk away from their faith. 64%, two in every three young Christians here in our society will grow up as Christians, but they'll end up walking away from the church or they'll walk away from their faith. And that is just an absolute crisis. And we've been, we've been talking about this for a while. Many people, you know, sort of have been strategizing and thinking and praying about what it is the church can do. And I think this COVID-19 crisis is going to accelerate us into addressing the kinds of issues that are underlying what I believe is a discipleship problem. I think that is what so much of our research has shown over the last number of years is that the church has an opportunity now to rethink its discipleship models. And, and here we have this idea, this uh, an opportunity to dis disciple people in a deeper way. And that's what I'd like to spend our time on. I'm, I'm so hopeful as I interview young Christians who are resilient in their faith, when I see how churches are responding to the COVID-19 crisis, there's so many places of good news and areas where I think the church is responding uh, well and effectively and trying to make a difference. And what I want to talk with you about today is this importance of us rethinking our discipleship opportunity and what that might look like. And, and what we're learning in research is that um, for us to be effective, we actually have to be able to understand the full picture of what's happening in people's lives. And, and I want to start with this. We've been doing some research with, with our partner, World Vision. We just launched this last year, a big study called The Connected Generation. And we interviewed more than 15,000 individuals, 18 to 35, around the world, 25 countries. And we found this really interesting way in which this this generation is both connected and disconnected. And we've, we found this really interesting paradox. For example, 77% of young adults around the world say that events around the world matter to me. Uh, I feel connected to people around the world, 57%. And yet look at the fact that only one in three young adults around the world said that they often feel deeply cared for by those around them. I often feel someone believes in me. And so this interesting paradox emerges where young adults are more likely to feel the impact of broad social trends, things like the, the coronavirus, uh, than they are to feel loved and supported and sort of known by people around them. Now, there's some good news. That is that Christians and young Christians around the world that we interviewed are actually more likely to feel loved and supported, but not that much more. And there's a whole range of ways that we need to think about um, you know, sort of discipling and, and sort of relational connection and all sorts of things. And, and what I want to show you next is a really interesting uh, set of data that we've been collecting in the last four or five weeks. Um, this is congregants uh, here in, in the United States, uh, and we call this flourishing. Uh, we have sort of 10 different questions. I'm going to show you some of those in just a minute. Uh, 10 different questions that look in their flourishing in terms of their relationships and their vocation and their financial health and their mental and emotional health and sort of their spiritual health. It's a combined 
wine score. And what's interesting in this data is that the, the older congregants are actually more likely to be flourishing when it comes to these different dimensions, these five different dimensions of human flourishing than our young people in our churches. And let me, let me double click on this and show you some examples of that. So there's these 10 different questions that we've been asking. You can see we've, we've so far interviewed more than 20,000 people. This is congregant flourishing by factor since COVID-19, since, you know, sort of March 19th through April 8th. Physical health, no anxiety, financial stress, no income disruption, friends and family, others to count on, called to serve, no job disruption, peace and hope. And what you notice in this is that the older the congregant, that's the yellow line, the higher they are in terms of these specific flourishing scores. Uh, 50s and 60s are the gray line, uh, orange is in the 30s and 40s, and then the blue line is, is the 20s. And you can see, of course, job disruption, that's a huge factor in our society uh, the last six weeks. Uh, friends and family who are there, who, who, who you feel close to, no income disruption, another big factor. But look over here at financial stress and then anxiety. It's the, it's the younger generations who are the most likely to say that they're feeling anxious. And, and this goes back to some of the work that we've been doing over the last couple of years, that life in this anxious anxious age. It's, it's absolutely you know, challenging for this generation. And so how will the church disciple in all of these different ways? And, and here's one of the conclusions that I, I'd like to, to propose to you, is that for us as Christian leaders, we need new ways to measure the church's influence in real lives so that we can care for our people where it matters most. If we're going to disciple people in any part of life, we have to be able to disciple them in all of their lives. And I think this COVID-19 crisis is reminding us of that very fact. And it shows showing us that we have to even be more connected in a time of crisis and, and disruption. So I want to turn the corner just a bit and talk about a really interesting Bible verse that, uh, that I think is, is really helpful for us as we think about what it means to disciple differently today. And that, that is from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 28 through 29. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, besides all this, and besides all this is all the other pressures he's faced, his imprisonment, his beating, his being shipwrecked. He says, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And I think for many of us as leaders, uh, we're feeling this daily burden. We have been feeling this daily burden for, for months and maybe years, but especially now during the, the COVID-19 crisis, we feel this daily burden for how it is that the church can show up. And again, it's so encouraging to me uh, to, to hear from churches around the country. Uh, we've been doing this new research called Church Pulse Weekly, and it's been so encouraging to see how Christians are showing up and churches are innovating. Uh, but this daily burden of how the church is going to show up and disciple differently, that's, that's what I certainly feel. Um, he, Paul continues, he says, who is weak without me feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? And friends, I sort of feel this, this burning of anger towards the fact that 64% of young adults will walk away from their faith. What is it that we can do to help change that trajectory? How is it that this moment can help us go deeper into the discipleship opportunity that we have? Uh, how is it that if we see someone who is weak, whether it's vocationally or mental health or in terms of their you know, relational well-being. How is it that we, we do not feel that weakness? And in order for us to do that, uh, we have to be able to have better ways of being connected. We have to understand what it might look like for us to disciple differently. So here's where I want to end, is this idea that, that in the COVID-19 moment, let's focus on being and forming resilient disciples. 
what might that mean for the models of ministry that we use? Uh, I'm so grateful to see churches innovating in the digital space. I think there's a great opportunity there, uh, but it's not just enough to get people to come and view worship services online. Uh, we need a deeper, better, more holistic model of discipleship. And I think this moment reminds us of that, that disruption is going to lead to an even more flourishing church, uh, even more resilience in us and through us as we try to help, especially this emerging generation, connect to what God has for them. So those are some of the things that we've been learning in our research. Uh, thank you again to Gabe and uh, the team there at Q for helping us have this unprecedented digital learning moment here at the Q Virtual Summit. And uh, thanks for having me today. David, so great to be back with you again. And I know for our audience, just getting to hear your talk, so helpful to try to get our head around all the changes, because I think most people are experiencing the changes. But I always love your perspective, because you really, you get this macro view of the American church and all the ways in which it's being affected. And you kind of synthesize it so well. And so I just love how you're pushing us to consider what are some of the positives that are coming out of such great change. So thanks, thanks for being with us to talk through it more. Oh, I'm so happy to. Thanks, Gabe. So I want you to unpack a little bit of one of the statements that you made. You, you said, just, just in this talk, you said the disruption is going to lead to an even more flourishing church, even more resilience in us and through us as we try to help, especially this emerging generation, connect to what God has for them. I mean, that's a very hopeful view for people listening who maybe aren't feeling so hopeful. What is it about this moment that gives you hope? Well, I'm hopeful for a lot of reasons, and among them is because I think that the disruption really helps the church make the kind of urgent changes that are necessary, never to our our, our orthodoxy or to what we believe, but how we express those beliefs in the world. And so take, for example, the issues of the race uh, racial injustice and the challenges that have been, uh, you know, in the news the last couple of months. And um, we know from the research that younger generations, younger generations of Christians are much more interested in understanding the roots of injustice, of they have more diverse friends, they want to see the church show up in meaningful ways in the race conversation. Um, they want their faith connected to the real world that they live in. And so um, the, the disruption forces us to think about and then to disciple people differently, more deeply, I believe. And, um, you know, another example of this is how people relate to their Sunday morning worship services. Um, you know, it turns out that people who just go to church, um, you know, once or twice a month um, and don't really have many other spiritual inputs in their lives um, aren't really growing all that quickly or that deeply or that resiliently. And so I think that the disruption um, forces us to think about new habits, new ways of connecting in with people's lives beyond just their attendance at worship services, as, as great as those are um, and as helpful as those can be. Um, so there's a lot of ways I believe this is forcing the church to reckon with some of the inadequacies of how it, it usually tries to disciple people, and it forces us to really kind of speed up those efforts and think differently about doing the more kind of on a wider range of, of um, topics and issues and concerns and manners in which people are living out their lives these days. Right. And I, and I think, I mean, as I look at the church right now, I mean, in this moment, I find like pastors are really tired. They seem really exhausted. I had a pastor in my office yesterday and he was just communicating how tired he is, you know, because during COVID it's like pastors didn't really get any kind of a break. If, if some of their people got a break or people just weren't going to the office much or whatever, pastors 
had to like change the game from what they were used to doing if they were used to just a Sunday morning service type experience. And all of a sudden they were needing to produce like a message every week, figure out how to use digital to get the message out, try to communicate with their people. And I'm finding in this moment in the summer, as churches or some churches are starting to gather again, like they're just exhausted. And then you add into that trying to manage and lead through all of these difficult conversations happening culturally, politically around race. You know, it's a trying time for a lot of people. But as you say, it's also a time, I think it kind of shows off what we really have there. Like, is there a there there? I mean, like, are your people really discipled? Do they know how to think about any of these types of topics biblically? Are they just being persuaded? I talked to this pastor said to me, look, my people, what I realized is I'm actually just an icon to my people that every Sunday they see as their pastor, but I actually don't have the kind of authority influence shepherding ability that I thought I had. They're being shepherded by television, by Instagram, by the latest influencer. And I thought that was really telling. Is that, is that something that you're finding is getting exposed during the season? I think for those that are, are, um, as scriptures say, have ears to hear it, it is. And I think that's exactly the point is that um, because we talk to full rooms or mostly full rooms or whatever percentage of full you have in the pre COVID reality, our tracking is showing that even as churches are coming back to worship, about half of churches as of the first week of July here are um, back to sort of regular worship. Half are not. They're still doing hybrid or very, very, very limited uh, small groups. But even those that are coming back, only 10 to 20 to 30 percent of uh, regular attendance is, is showing up. And so what's happening is that a lot of leaders are starting to realize that just because we have a, a way of filling up the seats in a pre-COVID reality um, doesn't necessarily mean that we were really discipling in, any individual in a consistent manner. And this is actually something that for, I mean, like for 25 years since I've been doing this research, there's this really dirty secret of, of church going, which is that, you know, most people sort of make their own relationship to the local church. Um, now, listen, I'm a huge, huge fan and proponent of the fact that you know, we don't remember as human beings every meal we've eaten. Uh, we barely remember what we ate last week, but that, you know, we're still alive because we're nourished by actual food. And the same way sermons and regular church attendance is sort of this nourishment, spiritual nourishment that you don't, you don't even realize how it's serving you and, 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 and sustaining you. Um, but what's true then is that a lot of people are, are eating less often, a spiritual, the spiritual food of a, of a sermon, they're, um, they're picking and choosing from a variety of different sources. A lot of the research that we have shows that the authority of those sermons are waning in light of how much other kinds of media they're taking in. That's certainly true of younger generations. So, you know, our kids and our, ki- and our you know, the, the sort of teenagers and young adults are, are just absolutely inundated with thousands of hours of content every, every month. And, you know, even a really good churchgoers get just a few hours of spiritual sustenance. So it's very hard, harder than ever, I believe, to sort of really disciple someone in their heart, mind, soul uh, in the in these days. And so I think some of those, the false pretense of how it is that we've, we've built, you know, rooms to be filled to hear sermons, even though that is still a very important part of the spiritual sustenance of Americans, um, it's just not enough. It's just not enough to really give them the kind of diet that they need to really live out a fully gospel life in the right. world today. And it, and it really never was, right? I mean, the I know you're so used to evaluating the data and seeing how much 
how many American Christians actually have what you lay out as a biblical worldview through the Barna measures of that? And what's the number? Isn't it like five, six percent of Americans have a biblical worldview, or is it less than that? Yeah, it's in that single digits. I don't remember the current number. I know that um, among uh, Gen Z, uh, who would be you know thirteen to twenty-one today, that's like three percent, um, three right. or four percent. I forget the exact. So, but it's so a, most most people hear that and they're shocked. I mean, they're like, "Really? I thought I thought seventy percent of Americans were." Bible-believing Christians, but when you get into the data, as we've done on a couple books together, you start to realize that the numbers are very small, and and there's a shallow layer that sort of American Christianity has created that when a moment like COVID happens and the churches aren't meeting, there's not a clear way to disciple people, you you really see what you have. And I, and I think as the re-entry happens or as churches start to get back to services, that exactly what you're saying is true. If your model is, how quickly can I get back to just a Sunday experience? You're finding people that are going, I need a way more than that, and I need something deeper. And the churches who are able to pivot quickly to to help their people go deeper, to know how to apply the Bible to our current times, to understand how to think well about really complex issues and how they're loving their neighbors well, how they're dealing with injustice, how they're thinking through it. Those are the churches that I, I find there's a lot of vibrancy to them. But the churches who are just back to teaching a Sunday service, uh, as you're seeing in the data, I mean, people aren't, they're not showing up. They, they have a pretty good excuse now not to show up. Um, if there were social pressure, like sometimes in the South, you know, we say people just go to church because it's culturally acceptable. It's kind of just part of the routine. Well, well, now every excuse has been given for A, people to not show up, B, for people to watch online and just watch any church, right? Because it's a digital experience. If they want to just watch somebody in a different city, they can do that. Uh, there's not a real loyalty there. If you haven't built sort of a tethering locally with the body, then I think churches, I think it's just starting to show up, you know? Yeah. And I think that's part of the moment, this is why I think disruption accelerates good, healthy change is because it shows the places where we're a lot thinner than we realize. So let me just put it into a, a, a metaphor of sports. You know, you, you, you're a great team, you've been playing in your league and you do well, and then you go to play a different league or you play another, you know, another team at another level and all of your weaknesses get exposed. And I think, you know, for me as a researcher, as a person who's dedicated my life to trying to help strengthen the church to be the most resilient possible institution in our time, I'm glad to have leaders like me. I'm glad when my my uh, inadequacies are shown so that I can grow and lean not into some great new strategies or new efforts, but lean more and more into God and His purposes and His uh, His voice in my leadership and my company and my work. Um, and I, I'm hoping churches, and I'm, we're seeing a lot of evidence of this, um, where churches are starting to say, church leaders are starting to say, oh, we, we're realizing that some of the things we were trying to do are inadequate. Um, just talked to a leader yesterday in um, in Nashville, of all things, and he was saying, he's like, you know, I'm really grateful. I was very against doing a lot of digital ministry, but I'm grateful for COVID because it's really helping us to grow that muscle. And I still believe that, you know, in-person service is so important and we can never replace that. We're having to learn a lot of new habits and practices and sort of fast forwarding to the lives that our young people are living, millennials and Gen Z. And, you know, the reason that they so often tune out of churches is that, you know, the sort of eyes forward, you know, you're going to just hear from the youth pastor, even if there's, you know, some, some dynamic Q&A or whatever. Most of what is happening for young people is their whole lives are being mediated through screens. So, you know, I call it the gospel according to YouTube. 
And by the way, you should, if you're, as you're preaching, teaching, thinking about as your person who's got a family, a household, um, when you do a Bible sort of study, you should go to Wikipedia and see what Wikipedia says about these subjects. I was like looking at Daniel recently. And so like most scholars believe that, you know, Daniel was just a uh, kind of a, a fictional hybrid character. And so, you know, people are watching and listening and taking in information from so many different sources. And this is another part of what disruption sort of accelerates related to COVID is, you know, they're maybe at best they're watching, you know, a Sunday worship service from their couch now, if, if you haven't, you know, got back to church, but it's telling you that they're probably also watching or they're doing things on their tablet or their phone and they're search if, if they're engaged and interested enough, they're like fact checking whether they can really believe the story, you know, the miracles of the Old Testament or the miracles of the New Testament. And so we've got a lot of work to do as leaders to communicate um, a more fully formed understanding of how reality works in 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 this in this Christian worldview, like how it is we believe that these are real stories and how it is that we believe that the Bible still has authority in our lives. And then and then also to deconstruct some of the the wrong thinking that um, gets grafted onto Christianity, you know, sort of the sort of the selfish versions of Christianity that are so American, you know, they're, they're sort of like American versions, some things we've, we've written about and talked about sort of the, the morality of self where, you know, the authority is about finding your own true self um, um, rather than looking for, for truth in scripture. So again, I just, we're talking about some hard realities about how do you think about preaching and teaching and discipling. And yet I'm hopeful about that because again, when you come face to face with an urgent sort of life or death situation, you have to make decisions about what's most important and what it, what it really means for you to, to make the kind of difference, the kind of resilient disciples that you intended to make. Well, as we warned, we need to hit the pause button right here in your conversation game with David Kinneman. And there's so much more you two discuss, and we'll share that on our next program. Now, David and you were talking about some recent research that Barna did, and it's there for our listeners to look through. Do take advantage of what they're making available now. It's so awesome that you can now have access to this data and go to barnaaccess.com slash Q. Yeah, so go to that web address, look over the data, and then join us next week as Gabe continues his conversation with David Kinneman. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.